and welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. We're still recording at home to make sure we can bring you all of the latest healthcare IT news you need, even though sometimes my internet decides otherwise. You are tuning into our June News Team Debrief with me, Andrea Downey, and Hannah Crouch, Digital Health Editor. Hi, everyone. And John Hoeksner, Digital Health Editor-in-Chief. Hi, everyone. How are you guys doing? What's going on on your end of town? Uh, not much. Might go to the zoo in a few days. <laughs> Yeah. What been waiting for yeah no still obviously still working from home still staying away from people still trying to socially distance as much as you can even though it's getting a bit harder in the supermarkets now because i think people are getting a bit more comfortable but i'm trying to ward them off um but yeah nothing's changed really <laughs> people have gone a bit mental in my end of town the teaching common was absolutely packed the other weekend which is a little bit nerve-wracking because they definitely weren't in groups of less than six so hopefully people start paying more attention to the rules. <laughs> How about you, John? Um, you know, I am very, very bored. Um, <laughs> it has gone on forever. I'm sick to death of it. And even the prospect of having a slightly bigger bubble and going to the zoo is not filling me with joy at the moment. <laughs> not even the zoo? Not even the zoo. <laughs> So as all of you are aware, our news team podcasts normally focus on the biggest headlines of the month, but lately they have been entirely dominated by coronavirus and the contact tracing app. But you'll be glad to know that we are moving away from that a little bit today to talk about the National Audit Officer's report into the state of digital services across NHS England. Um, I think it's fair to say it was a fairly damning report. There was quite a few criticisms in there about the state of digital services across the NHS. Um, it found that local NHS organisations are facing significant challenges when it comes to working towards digital transformation and that there's often a lack of funding for achieving fairly big ambitions, um, which I think came as no surprise to all of us reading that. So I'm going to hand over to Hannah now to explain the main findings of the report as she led on this one for us. Hannah, what can you tell us about the findings? Um, yeah, so obviously the, the main uh, sort of crux of the report was to look into digital transformation across the NHS and as you kind of said, it concluded that progress has been slower than expected. And it sort of lists a number of reasons. This is sort of due to things like recent investment in digital transformation has been inadequate, sorry. And um, it's uncertain whether current funding is going to be enough to meet the government's ambitions. And um, because plans are based on what they say is limited cost data. Um, other findings included um, that managing digital transformation at a national level remains confused despite sort of attempts to clarify them with things like the launch of NHSX, which was obviously seen as a, a unit set up to deal with all things tech in the NHS and being that kind of, uh, you know, place where people could go to to get all the information about tech in the NHS. So those kind of findings were sort of the main ones that I picked out. Um, there were also six recommendations. I'm not going to list them all because um, I don't want to bore people. But some of the key ones... Um, included something on the lines of making sure that implementation plans are in place with measurable actions for organizations to follow. And um, there was also a mention, which I found quite surprising about the digital maturity assessments, um, which have kind of disappeared in the last few years. I know we've, we spent a few, a few good tries, sort of, I think last year and the year before, trying to get hold of the digital maturity assessments and they just have not been published. So I think it was quite interesting that they flagged that as something that needs to be in place so that trust can obviously measure or that trusts are being measured on that kind of digital scale. But I think a good starting point to kind of get the discussion going is talking about money. Um, you know, there were criticisms about cost effectiveness. 
um, saying that current plans are based on very limited cost data, um, as I mentioned, and it's uncertain whether the plan funding that's you know, been set out is sufficient. And they gave that kind of eye-watering figure of £8.1 billion that's needed to deliver you know, these, these ambitious plans. And when I spoke to the, the guys who did the report, they said that this comes from actual NHS data. So it's, it's, kind of, it's not kind of a figure they've plucked from thin air. This is actually a concrete sort of figure that they've, they've given. And what I found quite interesting um, myself was that this includes £3 billion that needs to be funded by trusts themselves, which you know, got me thinking about do trusts kind of have this money? Um, you know, I hate to mention the C word coronavirus, but following on coronavirus, you know, and the kind of the economical impact, is there going to be money around for digital transformation? We've seen obviously digital tools being used, um, but whether there's going to be enough money to kind of um, carry this on is something that I found quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought the same thing when I read it. Um, I also thought 8.1 billion pounds it sounds like so much money to everyone else, but I think in the land of NHS, it's actually not that much at all. And when you look at how long it's going to be spread out over, it's not that much every year. Um, there's also 223 trusts in England. So that's a lot of, you know, the further that funding is spread, the less is actually available for individual organisations. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the same thing when I looked at the three billion pound figure coming from trusts, I think even before coronavirus, a lot of trusts um, are struggling financially. So actually asking them to, to give in that money is, is yeah, it's quite, it's quite an ask really. So it's going to be interesting to see if that can happen once the pandemic is behind us. For, for me, I, th I think the, um, the real value of reports like this NAO report on digital transformation in the NHS is, is taking the longer view. So, you know, as journalists, as a news team, we get very focused on specific targets and we like to kind of, you know, um, sort of call out whether they've been met or something's happened. Um, and, you know, we deal in specifics. But what, what this report for me does is it takes the period since the end of the national program, call it 2012. Um, and it says in that 10 year period, which is coming up on 10 years, um, what has been the um, performance on digital transformation across the whole of the NHS? And it, and it doesn't pick any individual program like GDEs or LICRAs, although they all get a kind of a, a mention, um, but it talks instead about what, what the kind of wider environment and ecosystem and, and how it's actually managed to um, progress digital transformation goals. And sadly, truly disappointingly, but I think it will be familiar to uh, most of our readers, um, it concludes that the NHS has not achieved um, in a serial fashion its digital transformation goals, that time after time we have had major kind of um, um, targets set by government that have gone unmet, only for us to bound onto the next improbable target um, and that sort of um, have a little chance of being met. Um, and I think, again, take, taking that long view, I would put this in um, the same kind of bracket as the WACTA review of 2016. And the WACTA review very kind of strongly um, sort of um, concluded that the NHS um, and policy leaders in particular had not learned the lessons of um, the National Programme for IT and why it failed. And in particular, those were around clear local objectives, aligning funding streams, um, having kind of 
um, you know, um, highly trained kind of local leaders, and most of all, aligning technology to adaptive change, changing the actual work of healthcare delivery. And as we'll come on to in a second, um, I think time and again, um, what the NEO report identifies is those lessons have not been learned and have not been applied, or have only been done so um, partially or superficially. So for me, the, the really kind of, um, you know, key thing about this is not only has digitization remained patchy across the NHS, you know, it's very uneven, some of it's excellent, many bits um, are completely different, but because those lessons haven't been learned, the prognosis for the coming period is pretty gloomy. It, it, it sort of casts major doubts over whether the digital kind of objectives and aims which um, underpin the long-term plan um, will be achieved. Um, and it's partly about funding, it's partly about governance, um, it's partly about interoperability. Now, I'm sure that um, lots of people will say, oh, well, you know, COVID-19 has blown us off our tracks. This report was um, researched and published just before um, COVID-19 hit. Sorry, it was published in May, but, but the report was um, completed before then. Um, and it, it concludes that, you know, we, we are way off track even before COVID-19 hit. So um, it, it, part, it paints a picture of how we can kind of um, get there. But essentially, the, these are familiar lessons that we still need to apply. It doesn't just um, kind of illustrate how bad the cost data is. At one point, the report says that NHS England and Improvement were modeling their entire cost model on the data from one trust. And it's only recently they've expanded that to a, a dozen or so. And, mm -hmm. and I think that those little kind of nuggets of insight to just how limited the data is, they're making decisions on investments of billions of pounds. It's shocking. Well, why are we not better at this in 2020? Yeah, especially since we know how much things cost, because, I mean, we at Digital Health report on it all the time. Um, we had, you know, Manchester University NHS Foundation Trust a couple of weeks ago sealed a deal with Epic for an electronic patient record, and it was 181 million. You know, that we're not talking small amounts of costs for different systems. So we know that the money is there. So it, it is slightly baffling that they haven't been collecting data from all of the different trusts, as you would expect them to do. Um, if they're going to be making decisions on how much money we need nationally. Um, so that bit, yeah, that bit did strike me as well. Um, I also thought it was interesting when you were talking about like localised areas, John, because um, it does mention a little bit about the Global Digital Exemplar Programme. Um, and it does acknowledge that it has done really well and that those trusts have moved forward digitally the way you'd want them to. And that obviously they are working with their fast followers um, to sort of help them along in the process. But I think there's been a bit of an issue and I think a lot of industry members might agree that other trusts have been left behind because they've been focusing this money on trusts that have the capabilities to move forward and they've kind of forgotten about the trusts that really need that help in terms of digitizing um, which I think is what their plan is for the digital aspirants program that was announced last year um, and then they gave us the first 23 trusts on that program um, I think in March, the last few months have been a blur, but I'm sure I think it was March. Um, and they're sharing 23, uh, no, sorry, 28 million between them for the first year. Um, but since that announcement, we don't know what the criteria was to become a digital aspirant, what that money is going to be used for, um, where they're like, you know, what's going to actually be happening in the first 12 months of that program. Granted, they've had a global pandemic to deal with, so I might 
give them some leeway there. But I think they've, they've, it looks like they're starting to move in the right direction in terms of helping trust digitize and making sure money is going to the right ones. Um, but I think we just have to wait and see what happens um, in the coming months, don't we? I think that's quite a generous kind of reading of the um, situation, um, Andrea. Well, that's unlike me. Like you. You're feeling okay. <laughs> um, I mean, again, at the governance, and governance sounds quite dry, doesn't it? But I mean, in, in this context, governance is specifically around um, that alignment between national policy um, formation, funding, and um, local kind of planning and delivery. And top to bottom, the system is broken. Um, the kind of um, you know amorphous mess we have of agencies that are involved in this, some with a statutory basis, some without a statutory basis. I mean, NHSX has been in existence for a year. Um, it still has no statutory basis. NHS EI, um, you know, that the pieces are barely kind of settled on that. Um, and I mean, at one point in, in the report, it's quite bluntly states, um, you know, that at the minute there is no way of um, relating. Um, national strategy and policy to levers to actually kind of um, um, direct um, or, or monitor kind of local kind of um, delivery. Um, and, you know, it, time and again through the report, I was struck at least that, you know, the system is really, really broken. There, there are many, many good people trying to kind of make it work. But if you were designing a coherent system to deliver digital transformation at scale across the whole of the NHS, this is not what you would design. Um, you know, it's um, it's hampering efforts. I feel at, at almost kind of every level. Yeah, I am. Um, the thing that struck me quite a lot was um, when they sort of criticised the hands-on approach and then the hands-off approach and then the hands-on approach. It's very clear that in the last sort of six years there hasn't been enough leadership in order to deliver this program. Um, hopefully, NHSX will be the answer. As you said, they're only a year old. Um, I think it's fair to say they haven't delivered on a lot of the things that they were supposed to be delivering on or promises that they would deliver on at this point. Um, but it, then it's also hard to tell because, you know, we've, the whole system has been uprooted by coronavirus. Um, but they did, they did promise standards and they did promise like a, I think the term that they've always used is um, what good looks like. And those standards were originally supposed to come out uh, in 2019, shortly after their launch. Um, then they postponed it to beginning of this financial year um, and we've not heard anything on that since um, understandably but you know we are still waiting for a set way from the top down of how to run this program so that trusts know what they're doing so that suppliers know what we're doing um, and we haven't seen that yet so yeah I wasn't at all surprised by that finding in the report. It's worth remembering by the way that these um, NAO reports um, that they are um, checked by the people that they're writing about. So, um, you know, the bodies concerned, NHS EI, NHS X and others, all get a chance to comment and, and sort of feedback and, um, and say whether this is a fair account of, um, of what's been happening. So, you know, that this is, you know, fairly um, edited down, but even within that, there are um, some very pointed kind of um, criticism. And I think interoperability is one of the strongest. So on interoperability, again, charting that kind of long view, um, the report um, goes all the way back to Information for Health 1998. Um, those with gray hairs, um, not you guys, but um, some of our kind of listeners will, will remember it. And, and reminds us all that um, that 1998 um, landmark kind of um, strategy set 
2005 as the date by which um, the system will be fully interoperable. I mean, you guys were still in junior school or something when, um, when that sort of target was meant to have been kind of met earlier, in fact. Um, and here we are, 15 years past that deadline, um, sort of um, staying past in distant memory. And what does the NAO say about interoperability? It says, unless NHS X really gets um, its act in order and gets out ahead on interoperability, it actually risks making the situation worse by putting out some half-baked or partial kind of guidance on interoperability. So not, not are they only not solving the problem, but they are in danger of compounding um, past failure. I, th I mean, that's really strong stuff. I mean, it's, it's quite striking, some of the, the stuff in there that they're talking about, you know, that they, NHSX doesn't have a time frame for achieving it and its plans are underdeveloped, which, you know, is, that's not even likely putting it. That's quite strong, strong stuff. And like you said, John, if that's kind of been edited down, um, what did they intend to say first? Um, and I think it, it's hard for NHSX, you know, it was launched and you know, with a big hoo-ha and a big fanfare. But I think the, the key thing that they lack is that statutory um, sort of responsibility and rights. You know, this is what I've kind of been talking about with a few people about the report is we have NHSX, but NHSX is made up of people that come from NHS England or, you know, um, the Department of Health. And it just seems to be like a mismatch of people coming together, but they're still not do not have that kind of overall responsibility yet to say you know we're going to commission this we're going to commission that it's still kind of got to go through a few other avenues before it can get done which i think is still slowing down the process which has already taken so long for us to get to this point so i think having that kind of statutory responsibility and the right to be able to say we're going to commission these projects and we're going to publish these standards i think is something that's really set them back in, in my opinion anyway yeah, and I think it's really important um, um, to kind of um, be clear that what we're talking about are system failures. Um, these are failures of a large, complex bureaucracy which operates in a highly um, political environment, is subject to regular, regular kind of um, upheavals and changes. Um, so there's no suggestion this is about individuals, but the the effect of the um, frequent organizational reconfigurations, changes, mergers, um, shifts in direction, um, is time and again, we are losing um, the individuals with the experience, um, the knowledge gained through kind of, you know, years of working in this kind of um, area, um, who are like the best um, place to kind of do something about it. Um, and um, I think, you know, the, the, the kind of with NHSX, it just takes time to kind of um, establish these kind of bodies and, and for them to actually have an impact. The history of the past 10 years would suggest that by the time that NHSX um, is starting to get useful, though, it will be replaced by something else that comes along um, and some new minister. Now, I, you know, I don't want to sound um, unduly kind of um, cynical, but... Um, that there are kind of some key areas where NHSX um, could deliver benefit, um, at, but as yet its plans um, look, look kind of pretty kind of, um, you know, poorly kind of um, shaped up. Um, I think on funding in particular, um, that, that, that seems to be the kind of area where um, it's, it's very kind of surprising that, that we don't have a clear kind of view coming from the centre about how much money is needed 
to achieve the digitization ambitions we have in front of us, which is for the NHS to be largely digital by 2024. And a prize to any kind of listener who can tell us what the hell that means, largely digital by 2024. Um, as you say, Hannah, we've got one figure um, in there, which is 8.1 billion, but then the NEO later goes on and says, actually that 8.1 billion is half what NHS um, EI had previously thought was needed. So that's a bit of a downward revision from 16 billion to 8 billion. And then trusts are expected to find 3 billion of that between now and 2029, which um, even before um, COVID-19, the NEO thought was pretty unlikely to happen. Yeah, I think we also have a bit of an issue with money not going in the right direction. We get so distracted by really big, shiny new tech things and we throw a lot of money at, you know, really big ideas that are going to be you know if they work and they come off they will be great but you know for example 250 million pounds has been committed for a national ai lab to improve diagnostics and we do need stuff to improve diagnostics i'm not arguing against that um but not much has come out of that ai lab since its launch we've seen a very small version of an ai buyer's guide to help trusts um help trust in terms of when they're buying products what to look for um but other than that we haven't actually seen anything so i just think we've we've if that money is there i think maybe it might be better off spent helping trusts that don't have really basic digital systems in place at the moment we still haven't met paperless and we've been trying to meet paperless for quite some time so i think we need i think the money needs to be channeled into a different direction at times because I, I think we're getting distracted and I think one of those areas um, is um, very clearly identified in this report and by Waxdom um, four years ago as staff. And we've also, of course, had the Topol kind of um, report in between as well. And the NAO, if you like, this is an easy one, you know, that staff are the um, asset capability um, that has to make technology work. I mean, you know, it's often said the technology is the easy bit, it's the people that are the tough bit. Um, and yet, the investment in um, staff, in skills development, um, which are recognized as scarce, which is recognized as critical, has still been far less, the NAO finds, um, than the even kind of relatively modest amounts um, that were called for um, in the WACTA review. So we have had some high profile initiatives like the NHS Digital Academy, um, but you know, in, in total, that, that's, um, that's involved training a few hundred people. We have a workforce of 50, 60,000 informatics um, professionals or people that have informatics as a major part of their job. And we still haven't mobilized um, or upskilled that community at anything like the pace that I think is um, necessary and the NEO suggests is necessary to achieve the kind of systemic digital transformation um, that's been aimed for. So I, I would say staff, training um, and people is one of those highest priority areas for development aside from shiny shiny and kit yeah i think i agree i think that's one of the most um interesting things i think when i speak to people who are kind of nhs it people and i'm like how did you get into this job and they're like oh it's sort of either fell into it or i was given it as like a you know a second job or something like that and they usually do it alongside something else and i think you know having kind of spoken to a lot of people about you know th this need for professionalis professionalization sorry and you know you know, making sure that we are upskilling the workforce and ensuring these people are trained, I think is really key because um, 
I think we can see it with the networks. It helps create this community and of support and encouragement to kind of, you know, get people to want to do something in NHS IT and make a difference. So, yeah, I have to agree with you on that point, John. Yeah, I am. Um, I would agree with you as well, Hannah. Like when I do when I do speak to people and I ask them how they got into their role, it is very much a, oh, I didn't actually know it was available to me. It just sort of I became interested in digital and someone suggested I go for it. Um, so I think there is there's an element of it not being seen as a career path yet. Like I don't know if anyone's going to training to become a doctor to eventually become a CCIO or anything like that. I think it's just something that kind of happens along the way. Um, but I think it would be good to invest in it so that it is seen as an actual career path so that people are opting to you know that's their goal from the moment they start their training I think that would be really helpful because I think that once that's embedded in the system I think digitization kind of comes along naturally because you've got people already thinking about it from the ground up rather than it coming from the center and down the other area which I think um, again um, you know areas which investment and in, I think would begin to transform the picture um, the, the NAO identifies that that spreading of lessons um, capturing of kind of knowledge of um, practical experience of implementing stuff making it work um, and, and it calls out um, the blueprinting part of the GE program as, as a useful start but really what it calls for is a step change in in systemizing that knowledge across the system so as well as upskilling um, the workforce providing them with knowledge tools captured from um, the experience of, of sites that do now the blueprinting um, work which which we've kind of featured in um, in various summer schools and um, rewired shows in the past is is good stuff but compared to how much work goes on across the um, system it should be one, I think, many different programs of systemizing that, that, that knowledge and, and skilling it. You know, the, the, the hard-won lessons that almost every organization goes through um, um, through digital kind of transformation initiatives are too hard-won. They're too costly not to repeat, not to share, and to make that kind of mandatory, um, well, to make it kind of, um, you know, non-optional. Um, in a, in a system as complex as the NHS. So allied to staff and training, I think that, that sharing of knowledge, that capturing of knowledge, and, and making that sort of, you know, much more a, a kind of standard resource that people are kind of um, contributing to and drawing from. Yeah, the problem with the blueprinting though is, I think it's a great idea. I think it makes so much sense for trust to create a, a document that other trusts can use to, you know, implement digital services that have already been done. But the issue that we've had from speaking to people that have been involved in the program is that trusts don't know how many people are actually reading their blueprint. So they don't know, they don't know who's using it. They don't know how successful it's being. I mean, I'm, um, I'm a member of the forum where the blueprints get posted. There's not a lot of discussion that goes on in there. Um, and I would, I would have assumed that that would have been somewhere where, you know, decision makers are constantly talking about how best to implement a system, what works for your trust, what's not going to work for us. Um, and it doesn't seem to be happening. Um, I've spoken to a few people. I think uh, the main person I've spoken to is Michael Fisher, who is uh, CIO at Liverpool. And he, his trust has done a lot of really cool things. Um, their e-sepsis blueprint was um, flagged when they first released the blueprints and has been um, championed by NHS England quite a lot. Um, but he was saying that he doesn't know if they've actually been picked up. And he thinks that maybe 
all of this money has gone into it and you know this this big program was there to transform the way we were running and it's hit the normal nhs sort of issue of slow adoption and it's only a few people have really contacted him personally to ask how it best works so i don't know if we can even say that that program is working um i don't know what i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the solution is to fix it that's not that's uh, yeah i have no idea on that but it doesn't seem like when we have these these big ideas they're actually picking up the way we want them to yeah and again the the NIA report says um that you know it's not easy and that simply creating repositories or libraries um is, is a useful but not sufficient step um and i think that this is one of the examples that the NIA draws from its experience of looking at programs from across um you know um, central government and the public sector um is it takes a real concerted effort you know and um you know that that knowledge goes hand in hand with training um and skills um the um as to the question about kind of governance and, and fragmentation it's um it's difficult to know whether you just say well that's the way it's always going to be um or try and do something more constructive i do think that it's not the way it's always been although the health service has always been subject to major reforms and reconfigurations um it does feel particularly um fragmented and, and broken at the moment and you've got this alignment with those organizations and entities which um, are meant to be formulating digital strategy locally um, which were stps um, and have now been superseded by ics's which themselves don't have a statutory basis yet um, so it does make for a kind of you know a bit of a, an amorphous mess where at the center there is a body driving this that doesn't have statutory footing allegedly connecting with um regional um and um bodies that are in a similar position um it doesn't seem a perfect recipe for success it doesn't yeah and i hope because the thing that they say in the report is that this fragmented environment that's been created you know over these years is making current ambitions challenging and i hope that the people who should be paying attention to this report do read it because that's a that's a key thing if it, i guess i read that as if you carry on the way that you're carrying on nothing's really going to change um kind of one big thing um in the report is this whole idea about lessons learned and you know learning from the past learning from experience and i guess this ties in with things like knowledge and skill set learn from these people who have dealt with it who dealt with things like the national program for it and you know um five-year forward view or you know these various plans that have been put in place and i i hope that they do learn from these lessons you know uh, you know the i'm one thing i was sort of when i was reading it was you know is the national program still haunting um you know digital transformation in the nhs are people still scarred or you know you know too worried that that's going to happen again um is that's what's kind of hindering it so i guess my main point really is that i really hope that people do use this report as sort of like a, a you know a generic view not generic i mean an honest view sorry is what i was more going for an honest view of what the current landscape is and i think it's it is a very honest account it gives you know it doesn't kind of it's not politicized or it's not kind of um you know uh, seeing things through rose tinted glasses or you know particularly damning it gives an honest opinion of what the the current situation is so i really do hope that those who can you know change things and, and help with strategy and um you know funding and things like that do read it 
and see where the problems lie and see where you know help can be done and or things can be done sorry to change it because if they're going to carry on this trajectory well I'll, well unless i'm still working in digital health we'll probably still be here in 10 years time potentially talking about the same things and i really hope not because after kind of talking to people and being like oh you know we've seen this all before you i when i first started i was like oh no i'm sure this is different i'm sure this is going to change and everyone's like nah it's it's not and i and now i'm starting to become that person that's like oh it's another announcement it's another program but i, I do hope things will change from this and i do hope that people will stand up and and read it and and sort of take it into account yeah so here's a big question for you john you've you've been in this industry long enough to maybe answer this one what, do, what needs to happen? What needs to change in order for us to achieve what we want to achieve in terms of digitalization? That is a super good question. <laughs> it's the million dollar Which question. I say that's a good question <laughs> to me. I always kind of curse a bit and go, damn, you don't <laughs> like my questions. Um, so almost counterintuitively, I think what this report really kind of um, points to in terms of what needs to be done is is it's the hard things that need to be done it's the things which we have struggled with which are the very things um, that still are the priorities um, that should be tackled and it's precisely because they are difficult precisely because they are naughty and complex and multifaceted um, that they are both the things which we have struggled with but also remain the most important so it is interoperability um, and interoperability is never going to be sorted it's simply we make progress there's always more that can be done um, it is governance um, you know the idea of some you know perfect um, structure of policy and government and minimal bureaucracy we all know that's never going to be um, achieved but you can certainly kind of minimize the, the disbenefits and try to kind of um, um, put sensible kind of um, structures in place. Um, so I think that those are kind of like really difficult ones. I think the money, there'll never be enough money. Money will always be a problem. Um, but the way to win the arguments with Treasury, particularly in the exceptionally difficult kind of funding environment we're going to be coming into um, post COVID 19 and what I hope is a short, sharp recession. Um, our benefits, the way to unlock um, budgets for additional investment is going to be kind of um, showing benefits. What's worked, what's delivered benefit, what's improving productivity, what's improving patient safety. Um, and those areas are weak at the moment. So the, the data on, on how digital investments translate into productivity gains and patient benefits it should be stronger. We should have better data on this. You know, after the billions of public treasure that have gone into this, the amount of work of very smart people that have gone into this area, we should have a better corpus of knowledge on um, what works, what it costs, how you do it, um, what you don't do, um, and what skills you need. Um, and I think focus on those areas, um, which the NAO identifies and kind of sets out, and the situation will begin to turn, it will begin to improve. When I think, you know, we have, we, I have sounded a bit gloomy on this, that the NA report does say that progress has been made. So it's not like it's been a complete failure, yeah? but in terms of us beginning to kind of really hit um, a inflection point in, 
in the speed and acceleration of digital transformation. I think it's tackle the, the hard stuff because it's the hard stuff that will unlock the um, gains and the benefits we want to see. And to be slightly positive for me, which is unusual, um, I think what we've seen in the last few months uh, during coronavirus is obviously how much we need digital services and how important they are and how well we can do them when we need them. So I'm kind of hoping that from this we learn you know, we've, we've learned the benefits of having them. So it's less of a question of if that money should be spent and more of a question of when that money should be spent, um, which I'm hoping will be, that's a very positive outlook for me, but I'm hoping that will be the case. Couldn't agree with you more. COVID-19 crisis has shown that, um, you know, given kind of um, the ability to focus, removal of kind of barriers, um, the people in health can achieve truly remarkable things as, as they have done day after day throughout this crisis. Um, I think some of the kind of problems we're talking about are almost trivial by comparison. Um, so if um, some of that can be translated into the post-COVID kind of era, era, I'm entirely optimistic that we will see remarkable things continue. There's been really, really good and, and remarkable work that's gone on. And, you know, I'm in awe of these teams that have managed to, to put together these projects and, and things that have been in the making for probably several years within, you know, a matter of weeks or days you know implemented during a pandemic is is remarkable and i just hope like john said i hope that continues i hope kind of when well doesn't kind of you know when this is eventually over which you know at the moment doesn't seem like it's ever going to end that kind of momentum that kind of positivity the optimism continues and it doesn't just go back to oh well we're back to the same same system same barriers same blocks are in place oh i'll just you know go back to having to you know, get a contract and tenders and all that kind of stuff. I hope, like I said before, that they may look back at this and think, well, what was it about what we did in this pandemic that really helped with digital transformation? And, and what can we take from that moving forward? Um, I think so, yeah, for me, it's just keeping that optimism going, keeping that momentum going um, so we can take what's been done now and hopefully sort of translate into something for the future as well. Post-COVID, post-COVID world, which seems like a very long Long and far distant world. Whenever that will happen. Hopefully yeah. soon, because <laughs> I'm getting bored of being at home. Which, yeah. Well, Hannah and John, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Digital Health Unplugged. And to all of our listeners at home, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we actually have a little sneak peek for the next podcast for you as well. We will be hearing from NHS Digital Chief Executive Sarah Wilkinson on how the NHS has used tech during the coronavirus pandemic how we will move forward from using that tech and the lessons we've learned, and also where we are at with other digital programs that had to be put on hold while we dealt with COVID. So make sure you tune into that because it's going to be a really interesting discussion. And don't forget, we publish on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iTunes every fortnight, so you can give us a follow on any of those platforms. Stay safe, everyone, and we will catch you next time. Bye.